podcaster's assistants here and uh, you're so, so welcome. It's nice to see so many people back after the summer, so many new people. It's really exciting. Okay, so uh, if you open up your Bibles, if you've got your Bible, to John uh, 15 and uh, we'll we'll take a look at, at that today. So just while you're, while you're finding your way there, uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples on like the eve of his crucifixion. So he's basically going to be crucified tomorrow. And this is the, the last, uh, last teaching that he gives them. Uh, he's commissioning them to go out into the world to preach the gospel. Uh, and he's promised them his Holy Spirit. Uh, and now this, in our passage, he turns to the only way that they can be successful in their mission. Uh, so let's, let's read it together then. Uh, I'll be reading from the ESV. Uh, I guess a lot of you guys have got NIV. It's pretty similar. Um, so let's have a look. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch in me that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me he can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love each other. And let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Uh, Father, I thank you that you have uh, you've sent your son to save us, to draw us into relationship with you. We praise you, Lord Jesus, that you are seated at the right hand of God, that you have laid down your life to bring us to the Father, and you invite us to, to enter into your incredible joy. You invite us to abide in your love. And Lord, I pray, I pray that you would give us wisdom and revelation as a church by your spirit. I pray that you would teach us, that you would take these words, lift them off the page and just really speak your truth into our hearts so that it transforms us and we go out into the world 
changed and uh, able to live for you, Lord. We pray all these things, Father, for your glory. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know about you, but I've noticed that I don't live the kind of life that I think I should when I read this, when I read this book. You know, I, I read through this book and see that we have a great God, that he is powerful and mighty, that he's good, that in him there's no darkness at all. And then I look at my life and uh, <laughs> I see something a little bit different. Uh, I don't know if you have this, uh, this same situation. And actually, um, Jesus is going to be talking about uh, some of the causes of this in our passage today. Uh, because what we need from God is uh, for him to make us fruitful. And actually, God's great desire is that we would be fruitful. That as we're connected to Jesus, as we're connected to his son, his desire is that we would be fruitful and so prove that we're connected to Jesus and then give God glory because we're connected to the son that he loves. That's his desire. And actually, I think very often, as, as I've been thinking through this passage, uh, part of the reason that we as, a, as, a, as individuals and as a church are not living the kind of lives that display the glory of God is because we don't ask God for that. And just as I've been reading through this passage, it's just struck me. Like, I don't know, let me just ask you an honest question. Like, how, how often do you spend time just praying to God, saying, God, please make me fruitful so that it brings you glory? How much, how much time do you spend praying for us as a church? Lord, make the people at PIC, make PIC as a church fruitful so that it brings you glory. And I had to be honest with myself, I don't, I don't think I spend very much time praying for that sort of thing. But the, the thing is that God promises us, actually. He says that because God is glorified when we bear fruit by being connected to Jesus, that we should pray for each other and we can have confidence that he's going to answer our prayers. So our question for today is, how do we live fruitful lives? We're going to see that one of the main ways that God does this is by answering our prayers that we would be fruitful. So let's have a look then. Um, we're in the middle of Jesus' last teaching. Uh, he's just about to send his disciples on mission. Uh, and uh, he's telling them, this is, this is what you need to do. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, but this is what you guys need to do. Um, and uh, there's, there's different parts to this, uh, this analogy. This is his last image that he gives us. Remember, we've had the shepherd, we've had bread, we've had all kinds of other things. And now Jesus says, I am the true vine, a grapevine. That's what he says he is. And uh, so he says that he's the true vine. We're the branches, the disciples are the branches. And his father is the gardener who cares for the vine and, uh, and the branches so that they produce lots and lots of grapes. And he says that the purpose of the branches is that we should produce fruit. So it's, it's actually pretty straightforward to understand. And in our passage, Jesus gives us basically three keys for us to be fruitful and so to glorify God. Uh, and the three keys are that we, we're dependent on God, our Father, to care for us. We're dependent on Jesus to give us life through the Holy Spirit. And then the last one is that Jesus invites us into abiding in his love and so bearing more fruit. 
And so basically the first two, the first two of those is that we're really, we're dependent on God. It's, it's God's work, it's God's effort, and apart from him, we can do absolutely nothing. Uh, so the key really is just trusting God. Uh, so let's look, at, let's look at the first one of these. Now, these first two we're going to go through pretty quickly uh, because we're going to spend the bulk of our time on uh, what Jesus says is abiding in his love. But we, we must keep these in the background because if, if, we, if we miss these two points, we'll get our entire theology turned on its head. Uh, so the first one is that we are dependent on God, our Father, to care for us. So have a look with me in verse 1 there. It says, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser." So vine dresser there is a word that basically means gardener. So God is the gardener. Our father is the gardener. And uh, this image of the vine wasn't just an agricultural image. Uh, it was an image with rich, rich Old Testament history. So when, when Israelites heard you, oh, Jesus say, I am the vine, they understood what he was talking about. It's a little bit like Poland, where you've got Poland is, has this, the image of the eagle. If a pole were to stand up and say, I am the white eagle, Yes, people would not think that he was just giving them a nice image, uh, but they would know that he's somehow identifying himself with the nation. And that's what it was like, because uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, God basically said, you, and you're talking about Israel, he said, you are a vine. I've taken you out of Egypt, talking about the Exodus. He says, I've taken you out of Egypt. I've planted you in your own land. I've made you rich and fruitful. In Isaiah 5, he gives this analogy that God is basically, he digs out the vine. Uh, he, he takes out all the stones. He puts a hedge around the vineyard. He cares for it. He loves it. He does everything that's needed to make it fruitful. But the tragedy is that Israel weren't fruitful. In that same passage, he says, I've done everything for you, and you've yielded only wild, sour grapes. And in that, in that context, he's talking about um, injustice, he's talking about idolatry, he's talking about extortion, uh, all of those kind of things. And so when Jesus gets up and he says, I am the true vine, he's saying a lot more than I'm like a plant that you're attached to. He's saying, I am the true Israel. I am the son who will not disappoint my father. I am the one who will obey his commands perfectly and produce the kind of fruit that he longs for. And really what this is, what this is teaching us, just to, just to summarize, is that God is the one who's responsible for giving us life and he's the one who's constantly caring for us. You don't see branches just digging in the vineyard. You don't see that. You don't see them pruning the vines. Branches are not very talented gardeners. The gardener does everything. Uh, and I'd love, I'd love to go this in, into more detail, but, but we really don't have time. Um, but just to say, one of the other things that God does is he prunes us. He cuts off those areas in our lives where when we're, uh, our energy is going into other things. And uh, just if you're going through that at the moment where, where God is cutting you back so that you be even more fruitful, just be encouraged. God loves you. He's your loving father. And he's doing it because he wants you to be fruitful. So... Uh, um, we're dependent on the care of our Father. The second thing is that the second key is that we're dependent on Jesus to give us life by the Holy Spirit. And the, so the first real summary is this: we must have Jesus living in us to have love. Jesus says, "He is the vine, and we are the branches." 
And this, this is an image of growth and life. The vine is the part that has the roots. The vine is the part that has the sap. The sap goes out into the branches. It gives the vine life. It gives the branches life. And it would be absurd, isn't it, if you went into a vineyard with a broom handle and you just stuck the broom handle in the ground next to a vine and uh, came back a year later and you'd be like, I'm really disappointed, but my broom handle has not grown any grapes. Would you be disappointed? No, it'd be absurd, wouldn't it? Because you have to be connected to the vine's life to have any kind of life at all. And that's, that's what Jesus is driving at when he says, you must abide in me and I must abide in you. You've got to be connected to the living God. So uh, if you look down into verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the word that keeps coming up over and over again in these passages is abide. Abide, abide, abide. But what, is, what does that actually mean? It's, it's not really kind of a word that we use very much. We don't say, I am abiding in Poznan. We don't say that, do we? Uh, but uh, the, the word, I think, in your, in your NIV, if you're using the NIV, it says remain. And remain is okay because it means to stay. It means to stay somewhere and not move, which is sort of the idea. But actually, abide is connected to the word home. And I think you get a much better idea. I don't know if you've ever been on like a long holiday and you stay in a hotel. You stay in a hotel. It's nice. You have everything you need. But there's nothing quite like when you come home and you walk through the door and you chuck your keys up on the side and it just it smells like home. It looks like home. It's just that feeling that you're home. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, abide in my love. Abide in my love. You are home and I'm at home in you. This is what Jesus is talking about. So it's this idea that he settled down in us. And the second really important thing here is that we're given life through faith in Jesus. And you have to be so careful with this passage that you don't divorce it from the rest of the book of John. Do you remember the, the key verse? What's the key verse in John? These things are written so that you may... What? These things are written... Jesus did many other miracles and so on and so forth. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so the way to, to life is, is through faith in Jesus. And the third thing is that we have life through the Holy Spirit. Uh, the only way to have eternal life is to believe in Jesus. And the results of this is what Kent was talking about last week, where he says the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. He will be, he was, he's been with, you, with us in the Old Testament, but he'll be, with, he'll be in us. He'll be in us. And that's uh, what, what, John, uh, what Jesus says in John 14, 23. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home that's that word, abode. We make our home with him. So their home is with us. And we have the Holy Spirit. And another way of saying what Jesus is saying here, that you've got to abide in me and I abide in you, is that you're a Christian. You're a child of God. You've been born of God. You have the Holy Spirit living within you. And so then Jesus turns to actually those people who really aren't Christians, who are connected 
to him in some way, possibly connected to the church in some way, but actually they don't have the life living in them. And so if we just look in verse 6, it says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, I don't know about you, but that verse used to terrify me. Absolutely terrify me. Because I thought it meant that, you know, you're you're a Christian, you're in Christ, you're connected to the vine, uh, and then you don't produce enough fruit, and you get chopped off by God and thrown into hell. I used to think that. but I, I, think, I think that's not what Jesus is teaching us here. Because it just cuts right across exactly what he's been teaching in all of the previous passages. Let's just take a look at, at one in particular. Um, in John 10, 28, 29, and it's coming up, I think. Um, he says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Can you see what Jesus is saying here? He says, they will have eternal life. And as Mark Driscoll likes to say, it's not particularly eternal if uh, you get thrown into hell, is it? You don't, if, if, if your life gets taken away, that's not eternal life. Um, and, you know, just as I was thinking about this, I don't know if you've, you've met my daughter. I hope you've had the pleasure. Uh, but... When, when I'm holding my daughter, she's my, she's my daughter. I love her. I love to hold her, which you might have noticed if you come and try and take her from me. It doesn't go well. Uh, and if anybody tried to hurt her, if anyone tried to take her from me, they would have to kill me to get through me. I'm not particularly tough, but they would have to kill me. And God is plenty tough. He is so mighty. And the other thing, I will not let my daughter just roll out of my arms. If she's just in my arms, I'm not going to let her just, you know, if she feels like rolling, I'm not going to let her roll and hit the concrete. Just what sort of a dad would I be if I did that? I'm not going to do that, and God's not going to do that with us. This is what God is like. We're his children. He's put his spirit with us. I mean, sorry, his spirit within us. He's given us eternal life, and he will not let us go. If this passage still bothers you after that, because I know we're going fast, just come and talk to me. I'd love to, love to talk it through with you. Um, and so uh, these first two, is uh, we're, our fruit bearing is dependent on God in his care for us. Our fruit bearing is dependent on Jesus to be providing the constant life that we, that we need. We must be in, in him. So what does that mean? Does that mean we just kick back and ride life until we get to the new heavens and the new earth? No, it doesn't. Of course not. Uh, And actually, is there anything that we can do to bear more fruit? And Jesus tells us that there is because Jesus invites us into his joy. He invites us into abiding in his love by participating in his love. And we're going to see what that looks like. So Jesus invites us to enter into abiding in his love and so being more fruitful so Jesus has told us that anything, uh, if we're to do anything, we must be connected to him. We must abide in him. And now he's going to tell us that there's something we do to be more fruitful, and that's to abide in his love. It doesn't say abide in him. It says abide in his love. This is, this is now our part. So Jesus invites us into the joy of glorifying our Father. So what's the aim of this care and of abiding in Christ? If you look with me in verse 7 there, uh, it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. There it is right there. That's, that's what Jesus is after for us. He's after us glorifying God. And the aim of producing lots of fruit is that it glorifies our Father. The aim of fruit bearing is to make God look amazing. That's it, to make God look amazing. And Jesus loves it when his Father looks amazing. This is his great joy. So this is part of us entering into his joy. The second thing is that Jesus invites us into the joy of obedience. I don't know if you think about obedience like that, particularly joyful. Is it something that you think, gosh, yes, this is something we have to do. You know, we, we, we obey because we have to. But Jesus is telling us that it's more amazing than that. And if you look in verse 9 with me, uh, he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And if we just keep reading, actually, um, just to see the aim of all of this stuff, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So this is Jesus' goal for us. Jesus' goal is that his joy may be in us and that our joy may be full. And so, so what is Jesus' joy? That's the question. The first thing that we need to see just before we get into this obedience thing is that Jesus grounds it in his love for us, doesn't he? If you look in verse 9 there, he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, we could, we could spend a long time just thinking about that verse. I don't know if you've thought about, as the Father has loved me. How does the Father love Jesus? How much does the Father love Jesus? Just think about it for a moment. For eternity past, the Father has been loving the Son. He's been communicating with the Son. He's been sharing his thoughts with the Son. He's been loving him and the, and, and the son has been loving his father, just loving him in obedience. And Jesus says, I love you in the way that my father loves me. So everything that comes after this, all obedience, Jesus grounds it. He says, I love you like God loves me. And that is just incredible. And so how, how does Jesus abide in his Father's love? I mean, what, what, what is Jesus' joy? And uh, if, we, uh, if we take a look here, so how does, how does he abide in his Father's love? Uh, and I've drawn a little picture. There we go, that's it. Sorry, I'm not very good at PowerPoint, but this is my best effort. Uh, so let's, let's have a look at it. We've got the fact that Jesus... Uh, so, so the Father has been revealing his commands. So God reveals his commands. And this is, this is part of the Father's love for his Son. He reveals the commands. He reveals his thoughts, his heart, his truth to his Son. And the Son's joy, his joy, is to obey his Father's commands because he trusts his Father. He loves his Father. His Father is magnificent. His commands are so true. They're so right. They're so good. He loves to obey him. And this has been going on for eternity. 
And this, this is the joy that Jesus invites us into. This is the best thing that he can give to us. So let's take a look at it then. Um, so the truth is that God is love, and uh, with his spirit, we're given the opportunity to enter into that joy. And so how, how, do, we love, how do we love Jesus? How does Jesus invite us into, into his, his obedient love? And you're not going to be surprised at what happens next. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my, commandment, uh, my father's commandments and abide in his love. You see that Jesus is inviting us into that joy of obedience. And if you look in verse 12, what, what kind of love is it? His command is to love each other in the way that he loved us. So what way was that? In verse 13, it says, Greater love has none than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So sacrificially, uh, it's seeking what's best for the other person at our expense. So what's, what is, if this is Jesus' command, what is the best thing that we can do for another Christian? You know, and I was thinking about this, I was thinking about our church, I was thinking about the fact that many of us come from far, far away, and actually, medical school, really expensive. A lot of people don't have enough money to go, to get a flight back to see their families. I know one or two people that haven't been home for like two years, two, maybe three years sometimes. Can you imagine that, not seeing your family for two years? Imagine if we as a church just put together and bought a ticket for this person. Just imagine that. Imagine they got this ticket, and without it, they wouldn't get to see their family. But with, with our help, would they get to see their family? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing? But actually, and you know, as wonderful as that is, what is, what is Jesus' greatest joy that he wants for the disciples? His greatest joy is that they abide in his love. So what's the most loving thing that we can do for somebody? Help them to abide in Jesus' love. And so what's, what's the way, what's one of the ways that we do that? And if you look with me in verse 7, Jesus gives it to us. So he says, um, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Ask whatever you wish. So prayer is absolutely central to our bearing fruit. And so we're coming back to, to our main point here. So we pray for each other to be fruitful. And this was a revelation to me as I was reading this passage. I don't, I don't pray for us to be fruitful that we would glorify God by bearing fruit. And this has been, you know, one of the wonderful things about preaching and one of the wonderful things about spending a ton of time in God's word is I just see stuff and I'm just so grateful that I get to do this every, well, not every week, but every few weeks that God just gets to speak to me like this. It's wonderful. And I, I hope you're sort of seeing that as well. So as we sacrifice our time, because that's what it means to love as Jesus has loved, we give up what we have to give somebody else something. So we give up our time to do what? To do the most loving thing we can do for another person? What's the most loving thing? What's the best thing for another person? That they abide in Jesus' love and enter into the joy of obedience, the joy of glorifying his Father. And how do we do that? We pray. We pray for them. 
one of the ways, not the only way, but it's the one that we're going to focus on today. All right. And so if we've got this great confidence, God wants to glorify his son. He wants Jesus to look amazing by us looking amazing. Jesus wants his father to look amazing. So what's, what's the disconnect? I don't know if you've ever noticed, but sometimes you pray for something and it doesn't happen. Have you had this? It's, it's profoundly quite disappointing. It's quite an English statement, isn't it? Profoundly quite disappointing. Um, but, but it is, isn't it? Like just recently, I prayed for something, and it didn't happen. It was just so heartbreaking. And you know, I spent a long time talking to God about it and just saying, you know, what happened there? And the thing is that, that Jesus actually, he promises to answer our prayers. And, and I think most clearly this is laid out in, in 1 John 5.14. You don't have to turn there. It's going to come up. He says, this is the confidence that we have towards God. If we ask anything according to his will... We know that he hears us and that we have received whatever we ask. So how do we pray according to God's will? And that's really what we're going to spend our last sort of five minutes talking about, is how do we do that? How do we practically pray these prayers where we can come to God with confidence that God is going to answer these prayers? And I'm, I'm pretty sure that by now you can guess the kind of thing that we'll be praying for. We're going to be praying that we, and especially each other, are fruitful. And this glorifies God by proving that we're connected to Jesus. All right. And so just as we, as we come towards the end, um, I just want us to look just quite quickly at some of what Paul prayed. Some of what Paul prayed for the churches. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote the epistles in his prayers for the church. The things that he's praying for them, we should look really closely at the things that he's praying because those are the prayers that are going to get answered 100%. I'm not saying that you never pray for your friend's exam. Andrew just had an exam on Saturday. We prayed for him. I'm not saying don't do that. But I'm saying that if you want to pray and give God glory, the thing that we pray for is the stuff that he wants us to pray for. The stuff that's going to make Jesus look amazing. Um, and so we'll take a look. Our first one is just uh, Ephesians 1.14. So if you could turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians 1.14. Now just a little bit of context as we get there. Uh, Paul has just finished in verses 1 through 13. Some of, well, 1 through, yeah, 13. Some of the most amazing explanation of what the gospel is. He's... It's just incredible. If you read it and you realize all of the blessings that we have in Jesus, it'll just blow your mind. But Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop at the end of this explanation. He knows that if we just get information, it's not enough. Like, I don't know if you, like, if, if you were to think about it as an example. If you imagine that I win some, or maybe I win some tickets and I come home to my wife and we're going to go to Bora Bora Island. I don't know if you know Bora Bora Island. Most expensive island in the world, 25,000 US dollars a night. Incredible. White sands, blue sea, that's what's blue, green, you know, just beautiful. And I come home and tell her, we are going to Bora Bora Island. It's going to be amazing. And she says, that's great. Okay, good, right. So we go into the house, she sits down, she's reading her book as usual, and I'm like, are you not going to pack? Uh, and she's, she's like, pack for what? 
something has gone wrong. Yes, some, there's been some kind of disconnect in our information. Uh, I said we're going. She said she believed me, but she didn't really get it. Yeah, and this this is the kind of thing that Paul is praying for when he prays for the Ephesians. Listen to what he prays. He says, I. I kneel before the Father, and so on and so forth. And then he says, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, verse 19, and, that, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. So Paul has finished the most amazing sermon in human history, completely inspired by the Spirit. But he doesn't stop there. He gets down on his knees and he says, God, if you, if you don't give these people understanding by your Spirit, this is just going to fall completely flat. So that's one of the things that we should be praying for. And let me ask you, like, do you, do you pray that for people? Are you praying that your like, people at PIC, that, that they would have spiritual wisdom and understanding to understand God's Word? Like, as I thought about this, I'm like, well, I don't, honestly, I don't spend a lot of time praying for that, Lord. But this is, this is the kind of prayers that God is going to answer. And then if we just look at the next one, uh, if you flip over to Colossians, again, chapter 1, but this time verse 9. And just, just in verse 9 there, I was just so stunned by what Paul says. He says, uh, in 1 verse 9, he says, So from the day that we heard of their salvation and so on, uh, we have not ceased to pray for you. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of praying. We have not ceased to pray for you. Paul hadn't even met these people. They weren't his church. He didn't start this church. Some other dude started this church. And he's praying for them without ceasing. And that is just amazing. And then um, as we go down, uh, if we look down in verse 10, uh, he says, what does he pray for? He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So you can see this, these are the same kind of things. God's, he prays for understanding, but he also prays for their lives, that they would obey God, that they would enter into this obedience, this joyful obedience, that they would bear fruit, and that this would glorify God. This is the kind of thing that we're, they're praying for. And then just uh, maybe one last one. Uh, and, and in, in many ways, the most, the most important part of what we do, like as a, as a church living in this, in this time in history, we are at the, the end of the age. Jesus is coming back. We don't know when, but that's the next big thing in history. And, uh, and so everything that we do is about proclamation. And actually, when Jesus is talking to his disciples here, he's, he's sending them out on mission to proclaim that he is salvation, he is the Messiah who will save them. And so everything that we do, and so everything that we, sh we pray should be with this in mind, this, this mission. And actually, what Jesus prays later in the book of John is that uh, you must obey so that the world may know that the Father sent me. Jesus prays for the disciples to love each other. He prays to the Father for the disciples to love each other with a oneness that is supernatural so that the world may look in and say, the only explanation for that is that a God who is unity and community and is love has 
indwelt these people, and that's, that's the only explanation for this love. That's, that's the kind of love that, that we're, we're praying to God for us to have with each other. And so as we look in just at, um, uh, let's see... I guess it's Colossians three, uh, Colossians three, four, three to four, and I'll just uh, I'll just read that to you. So Colossians four three to four, he says, at the same time, pray also for us, Paul, super apostle, filled with the Holy Spirit, the revelation of God in him. He says, pray for me, please, pray for me that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And Paul says somewhere else in Romans 10.1, he says, my heart's desire, speaking of the Israelites, and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And so this is also then another part of our prayer. So we'll be praying for people to know God's love as expressed in the gospel to enter into that abiding in Christ and then for them to bear fruit in every good work so that Jesus looks amazing and God looks amazing. And then we'll be praying as well that God would open the door for us to preach the gospel with confidence and boldness and clearly. And then we'll be praying that people would be saved. And I think this last part we do really well. We, I think we pray for people to be saved. Although I'm not sure we pray for opportunities to preach the gospel. I don't, I don't think I pray that with any kind of consistency. But let's, let's pray for God to reveal his love for us, for Jesus to reveal his love for us, and that we would be fruitful. And actually, as we go into a time of worship, if the guys want to come back up, uh, we, we're going we're gonna to do this together, actually. We're going to sit and just pray for each other for five minutes or so. So the, I thought the best way to do it is just to kind of go in four groups. So everyone, so Regita, actually one row behind Regita. So guys, Herman, Mike, uh, you guys are with this little gang here. So in this corner here, um, if we go, so that way, Linda and Bashir and your group at the back. So everyone connected around you, uh, if you go there, uh, you guys together, so Yuliush, everyone in front of you, uh, and then uh, Bill and Janet, if you get everyone behind you there. So just gather together, and I'm going to give you a passage each, and just take a look at it. It's not going to be long. Uh, just pray for God to do these things in this church. So you guys are going to get Ephesians 1. Yeah? Uh, Ephesians 1. What did I say it was? 15 or 17, something like this. Pray for God to reveal himself to us as a church. Uh, Bashir, your group over there, you guys are going to do Colossians 1, uh, 10 to 11. Uh, you guys here, so Lane, you and your gang, uh, you're going to do uh, Colossians 4, 3 to 4. And then Mariska, Bill and Janet, you guys over there, you're going to do Romans, uh, not Romans, sorry, uh, there was one more. Yeah, Romans 10, 1. So praying for people to be saved. Okay? So if you get up, just get together, get together, just come together. And uh, just as we go into like an instrumental time,